Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am I am joining you, Eric, this week from a remote, undisclosed location in the woods of Vermont. Um, after uh, finishing a draft of a project I've been working on for four or five months, decided to take myself away to a cabin in the woods and... Boy, did I pick the perfect weekend to do it. I mean, I took a look at the calendar, at the schedule. We had no Showtime fights coming up, you know, next weekend. You know, no Showtime fights this weekend to, to have to review. Uh, there was just that one fight on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, I had a kind of interesting, but I'm like, ah, I'm not really going to miss anything there. So, yeah, I did pretty good, right? There's uh, absolutely nothing that I missed at all. I'm feeling pretty, pretty smug. Hmm. You, haven't, you haven't been online yet, have you, Kieran? No, it's the first time I've been online. My voice. <laughs> See, I know, I know that you're kidding because you oh, yeah. uh, you DM'd me uh, in the middle of the Zapata Baranchik fight, uh, having uh, I guess checked your Twitter and seen yes. lots of exclamation points from lots of people, and uh, and uh, noted, boy, this, this seems like I'm missing a good one here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I know that you have indeed uh, watched it, and uh, and we'll discuss it more uh, later in in the podcast. But um, this is a the kind of fight that probably eight times out of ten I would have just gone to bed before it even started. You know, this is the kind of uh, show where you know I go online when I get up, I check the result, and if it sounds like it was good, I'll watch it, and if it sounds boring, I'll do some fast forwarding and just get a sense of what went down. I happen to be watching this one live. Luckily for me. And it was all thanks to the magic of sports betting. Uh, the, the, you know, the fight was on my radar. We mentioned it last week sure. on the podcast. I was interested. I thought it was a fine matchup. And then Saturday morning, I was checking actually some football odds on DraftKings. And I just took a peek at the boxing odds while I was at it. And I see Zapata as a plus 138 underdog. And I'm thinking, hmm, sh- should he be the underdog? He, he looked great against Ramirez, and he looked good beating Sniper Pedraza. So I do a little more research, and I come to the conclusion that, to me, this is basically a 50-50 fight, so plus 138 on either guy is great value. So I place a small bet, and now it's 11 p.m., and I'm still awake, and I'm motivated to stay awake uh, because I have a rooting interest in the fight. And who boy, did it ever keep me awake. <laughs> I, I, I watched it. I live tweeted it, traded some DMs with you. The broadcast ended and I was wired. So at about 1215 <laughs> in the morning, I watched it again. <laughs> no, really? Uh, yeah. I can't remember the last time I watched a fight a second time the same night. But yeah, boxing, when it's good, there is nothing else like it. And, uh, and I'm $13.80 richer now. Uh, that's right. Do the math. I bet a piddling 10 bucks on the fight, lest anyone ever think I'm a big money gambler. There you go. See, it was all motivated by money. See, greed is good. <laughs> greed can be good. I'll, I'll concede that much. In this circumstance, in this very, very specific circumstance on this one night, greed was good. Right. Greed mostly destroys everything sooner or later, but on occasion, in the short term, greed can be good. Right, right, exactly. Uh, we were we're gonna break down, as Eric said. I I uh, I did catch it the next the next morning, um, and we will break down the insane action in that fight later on. Um, we also got a fair amount of news to discuss in the boxing world at large this week. We're gonna start with some goings on here at Showtime. If you were paying attention to my uh, little drivel at the beginning there's a little bit of a spoiler alert in what i said there um we've had some breaking news over the last couple of days with regard to the october boxing schedule uh the schedule was originally supposed to be showbox on october 7th showtime boxing special edition on october 10th and showtime pay-per-view on october 24th the showbox card 
is still happening on October 7th, although one fight fell out. So it's a triple header instead of a quadruple header. And we will be joined in a few minutes by Showbox executive producer Gordon Hall to help us break down that whole card. But the rest of the month's dates have changed. That's right. One fight card moved very much intentionally. The other one was forced to move by an unexpected hiccup. October 24th was the date of Gervonta Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz pay-per-view, which was going to take place, like the rest of these fights, in the Mohegan Sun bubble. But the fighters wanted the event to take place in front of fans, and by moving to October 31st, Halloween night, at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, that can now happen. There will be social distancing protocols and tickets are being sold in pods, basically small groups. Uh, And the end result will be the first major U.S. boxing card in front of fans since March. Uh, And also three undercard bouts have been announced. Two 140-pound showdowns, Mario Barrios versus Ryan Cowboy Carl, an ex-champ Regis Progre versus unbeaten Juan Heraldez, plus lightweights Isaac Cruz versus Diego Magdaleno in the opener. Excellent action on tap between 130 and 140 pounds, and we'll be previewing all four fights in depth later this month. And with that big pay-per-view moving from the 24th to the 31st, it opened up October 24th, which is a good thing because the card scheduled to take place this coming Saturday, October 10th, needed a new date. Uh, The main event, Features top welterweight Sergei Lipinets and Kuchartilo Abdukakarov, but there was a delay in Abdukakarov, who lives in Malaysia, getting his visa. So that fight couldn't happen on the 10th. So we are happy to announce here on the podcast, breaking news, that three-fight card has simply been bumped back two weeks. It will take place on October 24th at Mohegan Sun. The two scheduled undercard fights, Xavier Martinez against Claudio Marrero and Malik Hawkins against Ubriel Matias, remain intact. Uh, Like the Davis-Santa Cruz card, we will preview all those fights in the week ahead. But this week, instead of having two cards to preview, we have just the one. This Wednesday, October 7th, a special midweek edition of Showbox. It all starts at 9 p.m. Eastern, and joining us now to provide his insights on the card is a frequent guest on the podcast and one of our absolute favorites, the executive producer of Showbox, Gordon Hall. Gordon, thank you so much for joining us again. Hey, it's nice to be on, and it's nice to have uh, Showbox back. So um, glad to be with you. Well, that tell you what, that sort of leads into the first question I wanted to, to, to ask you, because obviously we were all not as busy as we wanted to be from, say, March through July. But since then, Showtime's boxing schedule has clearly been keeping you busy. Um, I'm curious how you've been enjoying or not enjoying bubble life at the Mohegan Sun, and also how excited you are to have the Showbox gang back together. Well, I, I think, you know, the bubble life is something that we obviously get used to. I've, I just came off of a two-week uh, period here for the shows on the 19th and the 26th. Then I went home for a week, and now I'm uh, back. Uh, I've had other two-week stints here. And uh, it's just something that you get used to, whether it's just working or, you know, being in your room. But uh, I found that it's not as bad as people might think. Uh, Okay. As far as, you know, as far as getting Showbox back, um, you know, it was something that we had talked about. I think um, we had the approach that uh, we always felt we could get it back. It was just how we would get it back. Uh, you know, in this world of COVID and, you know, the finances and how we go about, uh, you know, building showbox shows with, with the prospects. But 
you know, I had kept on conversations with promoters. You know, we had had three, at least three or four postponed shows after our March 13th show. The first that was going to be was going to be Charles Conwell and Antonio Vargas and Isaiah Steen and Janelson Boca Chica. Then we had a Samson Boxing. We had um, we had planned a show at the International Boxing Hall of Fame with Lou DiBella and main events and sort of kept conversations going during the uh, summer months just to see what we could or not do with the uh, postponed events should we get the opportunity. And here we are uh, with our first, which uh, hopefully won't be the last for this year. Uh, so, yeah, this particular Showbox card uh, features four unbeaten fighters across three bouts, and uh, it's headlined by a pair of 12-0 middleweights. You mentioned one of them, Charles Conwell. He's taking on Wendy Toussaint. Unfortunately, Conwell is best known to fight fans at this point of his career for his tragic 2019 bout with Patrick Day. And that's an unavoidable storyline coming into this fight. Do you have any idea, Gordon, the extent to which Charles has been able to put that behind him? And, you know, aside from just that sort of mental and emotional aspect of things, physically, what what stands out to you about the former Olympian Conwell as a prospect? Well, a number of things. First of all, as far as Patrick Day, it's extremely unfortunate. You can only imagine the psychological impact uh, that could possibly have on him. I think he had a couple directions to go. He could either stop boxing or try to get through this, mourn, take your time, and mm. and uh, and move forward. Um, I know that um, you know. I've spoken to Luda Bella a little about it. We had Charles. Uh, I think it's the past is the past, and he's looking to the future, and. Um, you know, looking to fulfill all the expectations that, you know, people have for him. You know, he is an extremely talented fighter. Um, and I say that because, yes, he was an Olympian. Yes, he had 130 amateur bouts. But he's very advanced for only a 12-0 and fighter. I mean, he's mm -hmm. already clearly a 10-round fighter. Mm -hmm. He beat some very good amateurs. Uh, uh, in his career who are undefeated pros, uh, you know, eight of his 12 opponents uh, that he's faced have winning records. Uh, you know, he's a complete fighter and, uh, you know, someone that, you know, we saw him three years ago on Showbox. We actually had him in a six round bout. And since that time, you know, he's progressed significantly. And, um, you know, I think he has high expectations himself. And uh, I don't have any doubt that he's going to achieve those expectations and become a world champion. Mm. So he's up against uh, Wendy Toussaint, who's known as the Haitian Fire. He looks like a solid test for Conwell. Um, not all 12-0 records are built the same, and Toussaint has, has come against a lower grade of opposition. Um, but what's kind of interesting, one of the things that's interesting about his record is he has this three-year gap from 2014 to 17 uh, when he was recovering from a hand injury. Um, Toussaint is confident. Claims he can do it all in the ring, from counterpunching to acting as a pressure fighter. It looks like a very interesting clash of styles. How do you see these two styles meshing? Well, it is a it is a classic style matchup because Wendy Toussaint is six feet and Charles Conwell is at best five ten, five nine. Um, you know, his layoffs were due to injuries and inactivity and the you know the the standard uh, 
things that you hear. But Wendy came along to me personally because Conway was going to fight a main event fighter, Madayar Askayev, uh, who was undefeated and had like 300 amateur fights from Kazakhstan and had been in conversations with main events over the summer. Turns out Madayar got a real job, uh, not a real job, but a job, a full-time <laughs> job, and, and decided you know, that he wouldn't take the fight. So I was talking with Joe DeGuardia on a separate subject, talking about the need for a 154 pounder. And uh, he mentioned Wendy Toussaint, never heard of him um, and said to him, well, he's undefeated. He's untested. Okay. Uh, Not a a big amateur career. uh, But Joe said he was high on him. He said he gives Joe Smith Jr. His best smart sparring. Uh, who's another one of uh, DeGuardia's star boxing fighters. So I said, oh, he must have a good chin. (laughs) Um, You know, he's only only had one, um, you know, eight-round bout. But I did look, um, you know, at his, uh, some footage of him. And, uh, you know, knowing that he's done a lot of sparring with Joe Smith, knowing he was a primary sparring partner for Sergei Derevyanchenko for his fight leading up to the Charlos, now, knowing he was coming off of his best victory against Isaiah Jones in the bubble out in Las Vegas, it said showbox to me, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think that he, you know, he is athletic and he is tall from what I've seen. It, um, I know he looks pretty relaxed in the ring. He's a pretty mm-hmm. good body puncher, but primarily a counter puncher. But I think for, Having Madiar fall out, uh, I think Wendy uh, looks like, you know, a great uh, opponent for Conwell. And I think someone that is uh, is going to be in there and definitely in there to win it. Yeah, if, if he I didn't realize he had sparred with uh, with Joe Smith. But if you've got a, a middleweight who can go rounds in the gym with uh, light heavyweight Joe Smith, I think you've got a pretty sturdy opponent for Charles Conwell on your hands here. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, that's what Joe, that's what Joe DeGuardia told me. He said he gives him his best sparring. So I said, I, I don't know if it's true, but I believe Joe. So, uh, right. Uh, <laughs> um, so on the undercard, um, two welterweights of Puerto Rican heritage meet in an eight rounder. Great names in this one. Uh, Janelson <laughs> Boca Chica versus Niklaus Flaws. Uh, Boca Chica is just 21 and already has built a 15 and 0 record. And he is really itching to go after a 10 month pandemic layoff. Uh, Flaws is young also at 24, has a nine and one record, seven knockouts. Five of those knockouts in the first round, the other two in the second round, and he's every bit as aggressive as that record indicates. Is there show stealer potential with this one, Gordon? Oh, to me, it's the fight of the night. I mean, mm. on paper, what I've seen of them on video, uh, what I have uh, heard from them in speaking with them, uh, it is uh, has all the makings of you. You, once you, you don't want to blink in this fight. And uh, Janelson is someone new to Showbox. You know, the fact that he is 21 years old, and that's a good, you know, the theme. We, you know, we, we have a 21-year-old Janelson Boca Chica, 21-year-old Brandon Lee, a 22-year-old Charles Conwell. You know, it's great to have this young talent. And in the case of uh, Boca Chica, uh, he beat Brandon Lee, by the way, in the amateurs. Hmm. He didn't have a huge amateur career, but he... Uh, he did go 60 and five, um, you know, he's 21 years old, but yet a four, four year pro. Um, and 
I think he's a very exciting fighter and someone that doesn't lack in confidence. In talking to him, he says, you know, I want, I want, to, I want Brandon Lee, but I also want Keith Thurman, you know, and wow. he is definitely feels that he has power in both hands, and he definitely feels that he's going for the knockout on Wednesday. Yeah, and, and by the way, I, I saw some sparring footage of Boca Chica dropping Teofimo Lopez uh, and, like, le- legitimately dropping him, not just a little flash knockdown. Hit him hit him hard, and down he went in sparring. So uh, that that's encouraging, too. I mean, this th- he seems to be a real charismatic fighter, both in the way he fights and in his personality. Yeah, most definitely, and I saw that footage, too. Um, and, uh, you know, but Nicholas Flaws... Uh, you know, Samson boxing, you know, and I have to say that, um, you know, when we talk about <clears throat> this card and what we try to do on Showbox is get a lot of promoters involved. Samson has flaws, you know, DeBella and Holden have Conwell, Joe DeGuardia has uh, Wendy Toussaint, uh, you know, King's Promotions has Janelson Boca Chica, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Williams, right. who's taking on Brandon Lee is, uh, you know, with Jimmy Birchfield, but a lot of promoters here. And I mentioned Nicholas Foz with Samson because Samson, every fighter that Samson brings to Showbox, whether he has his own card or whether he brings a fighter to the, uh, someone else's card is always coming to fight. Mm. And Nicholas Flaws, you know, Nicholas Flaws, uh, by the way, is the only fighter that I've ever known that's been named after a golfer. Hmm. And that is true. Right. Nicholas Flaws, Nicholas Flaws' oh. father was a golf fan, and he named uh, Nicholas after Jack Nicholas. Wow. But um, anyway, I know, you know, Flaws is wild. Flaws is, Flaws is aggressive, you know, uh, and, you know, he wants to go in and do damage. And, and uh, he, he has a good chin. He's never, uh, never been down. Uh, and I really believe you got the Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican, even though, you know, Flaz was born in Puerto Rico, but Boca, Nelson Boca Chica's family's from Puerto Rico. Right. Uh, they do. They did mention the fact that that is going to be uh, a factor here. And, you know, I don't doubt that it's going to be fireworks. Uh, I can't wait to see this fight. Yeah. So there's a reasonable chance we won't have too late of a night on Wednesday. We've already discussed that explosive potential with the co-main. And then opening things up, a welterweight prospect we've just talked about a few times. Uh, Brandon Lee, 19-0, 17 KOs, just 21 years of age, uh, taking on a veteran Jimmy Williams, who is 16-3-2. Brandon scored a KO3 over Camilo Prieto in the last Showbox show on March 13th. And that was his longest fight in a couple of years. So um, can Williams actually extend him a little bit and give him some rounds, do you think? Well, I think, first of all, Brandon Lee is an interesting case, right? So, you know, he's 21, he's 19 and 0. You know, we see these fighters turning pro younger and younger. Mm. Uh, We saw it with Devin Haney. We saw it with Jerron Ennis. They're coming to Showbox with, you know, 19 and 20 fights, having faced no one because they turned pro at 17 and 18 years old, right. just like we just saw Vito Melnicki turning pro. So their development, both physically, they, they thought, you know, they had good amateur careers, stellar amateur careers, but they were all at the junior division. And so Brandon Lee, you know, is, is still a work in progress and he's developing, you know, mentally and physically. The problem is, he averages 1.8 rounds <laughs> per fight. Yeah. You know, and, and the fact is, is that, you know, it's, it's my job to match 
these prospects competitively and try to have them step up fights. In the case of Brandon Lee, I think Prieto was one. Um, I think Williams, in some extent, will be as well. And I know that Lee feels that he's a little bit of a step up for him. But Brandon Lee, to me, is the complete package. I don't doubt that he'll become a world champion. He's a star outside the ring and inside the ring. And, uh, you know, he goes to college. He is, uh, you know, has a complete package of power in boxing. Uh, but the problem is he's never been past four rounds. And, you know, we really need to see him. Uh, we need to see him more in the ring and we need to uh, step up his competition. You know, in Williams, I think uh, it's a little, you know, he's he's not going to be there in front of him as, as much. He's going to be boxing a lot and moving. What I can tell you about Williams at 34 years old, and I've spoken to Jimmy Birchfield who represents him, is that, you know, he said that this fight is for his career. You know, it's mm. for his future. Um, and, you know, he is another college graduate, uh, you know, played a lot of uh, football when he was younger and, you know, works as an outreach worker. And if he doesn't win this fight, maybe he should think about going back to, a, you know, going to a different full time mm. job, mm. going back to you know being an outreach. But um, I still expect an, uh, an impressive performance by Lee. And I'm hoping that Williams can make it difficult for Lee and make it a good learning experience. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I've always thought, you know, it's always interests me. It must be such a challenge. I mean, a good challenge to have, but such a challenge nonetheless, when you've got a young guy, you always want your young prospects to, to face challenges and to come through them and to step them up. But when they keep knocking guys over, it must be so hard because you, you want to give them that progressively more difficult challenge. And it's, they make it hard when they keep just knocking guys out. Well, I think at some point we, uh, need to, we being myself and Showtime and everybody that has a say in, in this series Showbox, we have to tell you, you have, to, you have to, you know, put up or, you know, we'll take a pass on it. I mean, mm. we were fortunate. I mean, to get Dave, Devin Haney to fight Mason Menard was many weeks and, uh, and even months, you know, mm. of whether we were going to have Devin Haney on or not, because mm. everything that was presented to me, I turned down. And everything I presented to them, they turned down. <laughs> mm. And then, but I can tell you, when he beat Devin, when he, when Devin Haney beat Mason Menard, he knew he was a fighter. He knew right. the confidence that he had after that fight. And he went on to fight three or four more times on Showbox, all against tough competition. Really gave him, you know, we, we were the proving ground to find out that he really could be, you know, a mm. champion. And I think the same is applied for Ennis and, and will apply for him, uh, you know, as he, you know, turns from prospect to contender. I mean, he is a contender now. Right. But mm -hmm. um, it is tough in, you know, matching fighters appropriately. Records, records could be deceiving. Yes. Um, Gordon, look, thanks very much. I know it's been a chaotic few days for you as you've sought to sort of adapt to the show box cards and, and figure out what, what you were going to end up doing with, with one fighter dropping out. So thank you very much in the middle of all of that, putting up with our pestering and, and for putting some time aside to chat with us. It's always a real pleasure to have you on. No, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your support of Showbox. You bet. Thank thanks, you so Gordon. much, Gordon. Great talking to you.
All right, good stuff there. Our thanks again to Gordon for joining us. Uh, now it's time for our predictions, and it's been a while since we've done a showbox card, so a reminder that we only pick the main events for these. The score is currently 42-41 in my favor, and it's your turn to pick first. So, Kieran, what is your prediction for Charles Conwell versus Wendy Toussaint? I've got to tell you, I found it a little bit of a tough pick. Uh, I hadn't seen anything of Toussaint before prepping for the podcast, I'll be honest with you. Um, but there's quite a bit of video available of him, and he's quite an intriguing guy to watch. He's got that, it's an interesting, isn't it, in that he sort of has, on the one hand, that sort of loosey-goosey movement in his upper body. He looks like, and he stands off a little bit. He seems like he might be a bit frustrating to watch. And then all of a sudden, he can launch into action with some legitimate power punches. Um, he doesn't look like the kind of person who can suddenly end a fight until he suddenly does. Um, and it is worth noting, I think, that although only five of his 12 wins have been via stoppage, they've all they've come in his last seven fights. So it suggests that maybe, you know, as he's gone on, you know, maybe given the advantage of more rounds or perhaps he's just developed more, um, you know, he's getting better at delivering power. Um, but as for Conwell, you know, gosh, sometimes there's something about his style, that kind of stalking, crouching, pursuing style that can sometimes come a little bit unstuck against styles like Toussaint. The guys who are able to move and fire punches from a distance. But all of that said, it's hard, I think, uh, to bet against Conwell here. Uh, he's got that amateur experience. He's got the higher class of professional opposition. He's demonstrated the ability to slip and get inside. And he also has outstanding body punching ability. And I think this is where the difference may lie. Uh, I can see Conwell... Uh, maybe having a wee bit of a struggle with Toussaint early on as Toussaint works from the outside, keeps moving, fires those punches from outside. Well, I think Conwell's going to stick to his game plan, start closing the gap, start stepping inside, start firing to the body, and that's going to really slow Toussaint down. The second half of the fight will be more of a phone booth kind of fight. Toussaint will prove surprisingly good at that, but not good enough to overcome Conwell, who will win by... Very close but deserved unanimous decision, 96-94 on two scorecards, but because of the way things are, there will be one awful 98-92 scorecard thrown in. <laughs> wow, very specific. Calling exact <laughs> scores right. for all three cards. I tell you what, uh, unsolicited. I, I don't have to do this. There's no upside for me. But if you get all three scores exactly right, I'm going to throw a bonus point your way. You, you will, you will right. deserve it. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, like you, uh, I identified here watching these guys that, that – there's an, an interesting contrast in styles going on between these two. And I agree with you that it's not an easy call. Um, you know, Conwell is certainly the relative slugger in this fight, a skilled slugger, yeah. uh, but still a slugger, an aggressive fighter. And Toussaint uh, is really the boxer here. He's very defense conscious. Um, you know, you, you pointed out most of his KOs have come recently, so maybe the power is increasing, but he's still not what you'd call a knockout puncher. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who can dictate the sort of fight this is. If Toussaint slows the pace, stays at distance, makes Conwell miss, then he has a chance. Uh, but but like you, I have to pick Conwell. He's the higher upside prospect, and he does something that's very important when you're up against a boxer who wants to move and make you miss. He attacks the body. Conwell is a fierce body puncher, especially with the left hook. Uh, he's not super fast, but he's fast enough. He's aggressive when he gets a gr guy in trouble. He's well-schooled. Conwell does get a little wild. And, and, and I do wonder if top opponents, you know, when he steps up to the world-class mm -hmm. level, if the top guys will find they have an easy time countering him. Um, so, you know, if Toussaint is a world-class prospect, he might be the guy to pull it off. But I don't think it's likely. He seems a notch below Conwell from what I've seen. 
And Conwell is just so aggressive that I'm going to create a little swing here by taking him to stop Toussaint late. I'll say Conwell KO 9. All right. Okay. We're, we've been uh, ever so slightly differing a fair bit lately. So Indeed. there you go. It's it's practically first take here. <laughs> practically. Um, <laughs> practically. Uh, okay. So again, remember that will be on Wednesday. Uh, don't go showing up on Friday, the usual showbox no. day, and wondering where your live showbox card is. Wednesday. Um, only one other fight card of note coming up this weekend on Friday, October 9th on ESPN from the MGM bubble in Las Vegas. Uh, interesting headliner here. Actually, a very interesting headliner, I think. Uh, Emmanuel Navarrete defending his 126-pound title against a very familiar face to showbox viewers, uh, Ruben Villa. Uh, Eric, you've generally been fond of Villa, uh, as have I, although I think you've been more so, um, believing you know he has a bright future despite that lack of punching power. But... As good as he's looked on Showbox, he's taking a huge step up here. He's going to be the clear underdog against Navarrete. Uh, what kind of a chance do you give him on Friday? I do like Via a lot. I do have expectations that he'll have a good career, win a title belt someday, etc. But I don't think it's happening this Friday. I think this is the wrong opponent for him. Unless Navarrete has a letdown fight, which mm. it doesn't seem like the sort of thing he'd do. He, he doesn't carry himself like a guy who's ripe for a letdown, but... I suppose, in theory, a boxer who fights every couple of months might burn out a little and, and show up flat for one of those fights. But I think, in all likelihood, Navarrete is too good for Villa, and the style matchup is all wrong. He, he pumps out such a high volume of dynamic punches, and it's just hard to win rounds when you're trying to be slick and defensive and clever, and the other guy is just relentless. Yeah. Um, I think Villa will give a strong account of himself. He won't get blown out. He'll make Navarrete work. I think he'll probably even last the distance, but a path to victory is, is tough to see here. Uh, but yeah. still, it, it's a good fight worth tuning in for. Agreed. And speaking of ESPN fights worth <laughs> tuning in for, uh, <laughs> last week on the podcast, we had a jam-packed show. So in our fight previews, we gave very short shrift to Jose Chan Zapeda versus Ivan Branchik. But we will not do that in discussing the fight after the fact. We touched on it at the very beginning of the show, but really didn't get into the details. Uh, we'll get into them now. Uh, surely all of our listeners who didn't watch the fight live have seen it by now. So we don't need to go punch by punch through what happened. You know the basics. Four knockdowns apiece in five rounds, plus one knockdown by Zapeta that wasn't called. The eighth official knockdown ended it as Zapeta having just gotten off the canvas late in round five, landed a right-left combination that rendered Branchik unconscious before he even hit the floor. Uh, his leg pinned awkwardly under mm. him for a moment. Referee Kenny Bayless waving it off without a count. If you ask me, this is the fight of the year, and it isn't close. This might be the knockout of the year. It's close between this and White Pavetkin. And round five was the round of the year, and round two is the top runner-up in my mind, the second best <laughs> round of the year. Uh, do you agree with those 2020 awards assessments, Kieran? And go beyond 2020 and finish this sentence. Zapata Baranchik was the best fight in boxing since blank. Yeah, I don't know about the best because that's so. there are so many different ways to define best. I will say it might be the most ridiculously bonkers fight <laughs> and the most abs absurdly entertaining seesaw fight and this is going to sound like hyperbole, but since Foreman Lyle, yeah, I mean, yeah. really, that's the comparison, uh -huh. isn't it? Um, the most recent equivalent 
is is Derek Jefferson, Maurice Harris, and and boy, if if it need if this fight missed anything, it was Larry Merchant shouting Jose Cepeda, <laughs> I love you right. at the end of it. Um, and the other thing that it really needed, no, what it deserved was a crowd. Mm. Um, oh my God, this fight deserved a crowd. Um, the audience, however big or however small it would have been, would have been going going back crazy with this yeah. one, and and deservedly so. What a fight this was. Um, and what a strange one. You know, the way that Baron Chick was the one who came flying out of his blocks first. But, I, you know, even with those two first round knockdowns that he scored, you know, and it, obviously I knew that, some, as we discussed, something crazy had happened before I actually sat down and watched it. Right. Um, I'm not sure it was obvious necessarily. Maybe it was, watching it live, that this was going to take off into being an absolutely bonkers fight. Um, neither of those lock knockdowns in that first round looked hugely crippling. It, 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 it was once Brownchick went down as well that it really sort of began to, to take off. But, you know, I'm not sure that any of the knockdowns the Baron Chick scored against Cepeda, except perhaps the last one when he was held up by the ropes, Cepeda, mm. were as strong as the ones that Cepeda put Baron Chick down with. It, it looked a little bit to me that that first knockdown, Baron Chick's legs just didn't quite look right. And even when he got them together again, every, when Cepeda did crack him really hard, they sort of started to go again. I would not be surprised to find out if Baron Chick doesn't remember anything after that first knockdown in the second round it looked right. to me like it was one of those deals right where he's just that amazing fighter instinct is in there and taking over and somehow able to be as effective as he, as he was but I, i'd be shocked if he remembers very much of that i'm not sure how much the is even going to remember um <laughs> i i hope he's okay i right. we are recording this on a sunday evening i don't know about you i haven't i looked for some updates on his health i don't know if you saw any i hadn't uh yeah no, i haven't because, seen anything because that was quite the crushing knockout at the end there uh your 2020 uh, awards it's it's fight of the year and it's runner-up for fight of the year it's it's like it takes all three <laughs> of the top categories i think just as a way of it i mean there's just nothing like it uh agree with you on the rounds yeah knockout of the year it is close it is between it, it, i think yeah still pavetkin white was a heck of a knockout and and, and an out of knock, nowhere knockout but the way that poor baronchik just crumpled and folded on the canvas and what had gone before i think this might just about make it the front runner this could be this could be the shits creek in the comedy emmys version <laughs> good call. of the, book, of the boxing sweeps everything of the yeah it could be <laughs> well, now I'm now I'm picturing uh, Jose Zapata collecting his awards as Dan Levy stands there in the background <laughs> trying not to cry. <laughs> um, yeah, I picture I, him dressed as Dan Levy. <laughs> no, that could work. I could see that. Um, the, yeah, you were mentioning how Baranchik went down a few times, not looking good. That the I think it was the one in the third round where he went down and kind of rolled over and yeah. almost tripped the referee as he rolled like a second time. Um, but he, but every time he shook it off and got up and got his legs back fairly quickly. But yeah, just a wild fight. I think yeah, Foreman Lyle is the natural comparison. That's the fight this reminds me most of. Uh, and of course, that ended in the fifth round. Also. I certainly think for, you know, just pure bonkers craziness, it, it surpasses Jefferson Harris. I think it surpasses Hamed Kelly. I was going to um, say, because you were ringside for Hamed Kelly. So, yeah, that's the other yeah, one. Yeah, that was not quite as wild as this, I don't think. Um, so, but you're but you're right to question, you know, the use of the word best. That's in the eye of the beholder. What do you con 
what do you factor in when calling something right. best fight? Um, I think at the very least, by whatever measure, it's the best since Joshua Klitschko, so the best in, in three years. Um, I happen to think it was better than Joshua Klitschko. It, you know, better, more consistent action. Mm. But, you know, if you prefer to factor the magnitude of the fight in and if you downgrade Zapeda Baranchik a little because of the sloppiness, you know, like right. the people who will always rate Barrera Morales ahead of Ward Gaddy because the skill level was higher. You know, if, if, if those are your criteria... I could see stopping at best since Joshua Klitschko, um, but right. I wouldn't. I'd go, for me personally, admittedly, I haven't had a lot of time to let it sink in and see how I feel a few <laughs> days or weeks later, but I'd go best since Marquez Pacquiao 4, making this the best fight in eight years. You know, it's close with a fight in the interim like Francisco Vargas, Takashi Miura, which I loved. Right. Um, but for me, I'd say best since Marquez knocked out Manny. And I think if somebody called this the best fight since Corrales Castillo, I wouldn't object to their right to make that case. Um, And now I even saw one tweet saying that was better than Hagler Hearns, which sounds completely blasphemous. And I don't think I'd agree with that tweet, but in some regards, I can see it. Uh, This went longer. I understand the sentiment. Yeah. It it swings back and forth. Exactly. More back and forth, a couple more rounds. Both guys down four times. You just don't see that very often. Wherever you place it, it was an instant classic. And I'm sorry you had to watch it kind of spoiled or semi-spoiled. That does take something out of it. Because this was just edge-of-your-seat stuff nonstop for five rounds if you didn't know what twist was coming next. Uh, so kudos to top rank for this one. They gave us something special, kind of a shame. It was behind the paywall on ESPN plus. Mm-hmm. I hope they air this on regular ESPN in the next few days. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that's the only fight from this past week that we'll bother to review. Uh, but a quick note that one fight that was scheduled to take place got canceled British featherweights Jazza Dickens and Ryan Walsh were set to meet on Wednesday, September 30th, but Dickens and his trainer, Derry Matthews, both tested positive for COVID the day before, so the fight was scrapped, but is expected to be rescheduled. And that provides an easy transition to our Outside the Ring news, and there's quite a lot of it this week. And let's start with the big boys. Two pieces of news related to the planned third fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. The fight was supposed to take place on Saturday, December 19th. That was the date that they had unofficially announced. But with the college football schedule falling into place, Bob Arum has decided to move this fight so it doesn't go up against five conference championship games, not to mention two late season NFL games. So they're looking at a week or two earlier, maybe January if they have to, and still planning to do it at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Meanwhile, Wilder announced on Friday that assistant trainer Mark Breland, who threw in the towel in the Fury rematch in February, is no longer part of the team. And what caught me off guard about this news is that I kind of thought Breland had already been fired, but I guess not. Uh, But now he's out. JD's remains head trainer and Malik Scott moves up in the pecking order. Kieran, were you too surprised to learn that Breland hadn't been fired a couple of months ago? And... How psyched are you to know that on December 19th, you can now watch these college athletes put their health at risk in a variety of ways for no money without a major boxing conflict to worry about? 
Wow, it's, it's I can't see what the the issue is with uh, a, uh, a situation in which colleges rake in vast amounts of money while profiting off the back of athletes who get nothing more than preliminary brain damage that is already eating away at them before they even have the chance to turn pro. I can't possibly see what the issue is with that. As for Veland, I didn't know one way or the other. Uh, to be honest, we've heard so little out of that camp other than a litany of excuses. Right. Um, this is like the first sort of actual concrete news that we've heard other than the my my ring get up was too heavy. Um, I had an owie, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Mark Breland was was in cahoots. Um, this is actually the first kind of uh, bit of information that we have that suggests that they're actually focusing and thinking about the fact that they do have another fight that they need to concentrate on. So maybe that's I mean, obviously, it's not good news for Mark, Mark Breland. And I think it's a big mistake. Um, but I, I would imagine it was probably all a bit ox in there after mm. uh, after everything that had been said and done, and maybe it was all for the best for them. But uh, the fact that this is news and that this is an announcement that he's made suggests to me that they're finally getting focused on the task ahead, ahead of them instead of you know looking for reasons to rationalize what happened the last time around, and that can only be good for, uh, for Deontay Wilder. Right. Uh, a quick Canelo update, because of course. Um, on last <laughs> week's podcast, we mentioned that he and his own might be compromising and working out their problems. Uh, but now it appears to have flipped back in the other direction as the Mexican superstar refiled his $280 million breach of contract lawsuit against DAZN and Golden Boy a few days ago. Still a wait and see situation there. Uh, but uh, while they're trying to uh, hopefully keep their uh, their golden goose around, uh, DAZN did announce some other fights this week. On Saturday November 7th, undefeated lightweight Devin Haney meets Yuriorkis Gamboa. Uh, my skepticism about Haney versus Gary Russell Jr. being a real possibility proved accurate there. And on Friday, November 27th, uh, Daniel Jacobs returns to the ring. Yay! In a super middleweight fight against Gabriel Rosado. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm not super thrilled by Haney against Gamboa, as we sort of already have seen this, but with Javante Davis and the mm -hmm. Devin Haney role. Uh, I, and I'm also, I think about it, I'm not quite sure how somebody with all the talent of Yuriokis Gamboa wound up in the sacrificial lamb role that he's that he's occupied a few times in his career now. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I guess that's what happens when you, you know, you sign with 50 cent and then your career kind of goes off the boil for a while. But anyway, um, I don't blame Daniel Jacobs for his fight. Um, look at who he's fought over the past couple of years. You cannot blame Daniel Jacobs and say that Daniel Jacobs isn't trying to find the best fights possible. Um, but lordy, um, Rosado could get hurt here. I, I don't, I don't like this fight at all. What do you think of these matchups? Yeah, I, I don't love either fight, but one of the two I'm perfectly okay with. The other I am not, and that's Jacobs Rosado. I really hate this fight. It has not just mismatch written all over it, but mismatch where a guy takes a frightful amount of punches. Yeah, and that's a guy who has already taken a concern-worthy number of punches. Yeah. I just don't see what it accomplishes. You know, we've, we've said since the COVID shutdown that every fighter is entitled to a soft one coming back. But I don't know. Th this one just feels over the line. And, and nothing against Rosado. You know, he, he was a good right. fighter. Um, Great fighter, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there was a time when you could put him in against the best guys and know he was an underdog but feel okay about putting him in there. 
I just I think that time has passed. He seems near the end of the road. And I just get a queasy feeling with, with this one. You know, he's hitting that Alfredo Angulo, Brandon yeah. Rios, that sort of stage where I just don't want to see him in the ring with championship level guys anymore. Um, Haney Gamboa. Yeah, I mean, that that might be a mismatch, too. Uh, Gamboa is 38. He got fairly well dominated by Tank Davis last time out. Haney is a lot bigger than he is. But Haney needs names on his record. He's at that point in his career where he's looking for some some ex-champs to add to his resume. And, you know, Gamboa can still be explosive and dangerous in flashes. So I'm okay with this one. I'm not pumped for it, but it's not worth a tirade the way that Jacobs Rosado is to me. Agreed. Um, one more notable fight signed this past week. 2016 U.S. Olympian Michaela Mayer gets her first shot at an alphabet belt. She'll face Polish 130-pound titleist Ewa Brodnika in the co-feature to Naoya Inoue versus Jason Maloney, a card that I will DVR and watch later because it's up against the Davis-Santa Cruz pay-per-view on Halloween night. Uh, a couple of additional news items. According to TMZ, Sergei Kovalev, who was accused of punching a woman and kicking her dog after she rejected his sexual advances in 2018 has pled guilty to a misdemeanor and avoids jail time, but is getting three years probation and must complete an anger management program. And there is still a civil case ongoing. Uh, Also, Positive COVID tests have been in the news just a wee bit this week. Not sure oh, yeah. if you know I've, that, I've, Kieran. I've, I've been in a cabin in the woods. Have I missed anything? <laughs> you would have to be in a cabin <laughs> on, a, on another planet. The woods on Venus. Are there woods on Venus? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I should uh, find out. <laughs> Um, but uh, we shouldn't be chuckling uh, so much about it because uh, the, the boxing world learned of uh, a positive COVID test on Thursday as matchroom promoter Eddie Hearn announced he has the virus. Eddie is 41 years old and appears in good health, so hopefully he will not experience any complications. We, of course, wish him a quick recovery. Kieran, anything to add about any of these items? I think Sergei Kovalev may be a little bit of a lucky boy, to be honest with you, if, if based on you know what was made public of, of the allegations there. Um, uh, I must say the image of Sergei in anger management classes makes me giggle a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> that, that's a good luck, whoever's in charge of that. Um, but yes, like you said, the civil case is still ongoing. He is far from out of the woods there. Uh, and all the best, yes, indeed, to Eddie Hearn. Look. Turns out that, you know, no matter what you do, whether you wish it away, whether you say it's a hoax, whether you belittle people for wearing masks, or whether, like Eddie, you do your best to live in a bubble and take the necessary precautions, this is a very tough virus to avoid. Um, You really do need to be a mask-wearing misanthrope who lives in a cabin in the woods like me. (laughs) Um, I don't think, I didn't hear that Eddie had any symptoms, just that he tested positive, and I hope that's true. Um, And I hope that remains the case, and I hope that Eddie is able to uh, get past that uh, uh, soon, like you said. Yeah, I think we, we should all just move to cabins in the woods of Vermont. Yes. Is there is there is there room for a uh, for a family well, of four yeah, there yeah, somewhere, that, Kieran? That, that is the problem. Then I'll have to move somewhere. <laughs> right. Else. Then, then yeah. Then you'll end up in uh, New York City, <laughs> which will have fully emptied out by then. Yeah. Um, all right. A final note before we go. The International Boxing Hall of Fame sent a letter of appeal for financial donations to many in the boxing community this past week. As you might imagine, with June's induction weekend canceled, with visitation to the hall way down all year, the Hall of Fame is facing a serious financial challenge. I'm not what you'd call a rich man, 
but I've been lucky not to be hurt financially during COVID. So when I received the letter in the mail, I immediately went on the Hall of Fame's website and made a donation. My contribution alone, though, uh, you know, I, I won't reveal the exact size of it, but suffice to say, it isn't going to get them over the hump. Not even if I throw my Zepeda Branchik wager I was winnings say, on it's top. At least thirteen dollars eighty, right? Yeah, it's at least that much. Uh, it's a little more than that, but still, it's not going to get them over the hump. Uh, just, just me uh, contributing. So I wanted to take a moment to ask our listeners if you have the money. Uh, you know, times are tough for a lot of people, but. If you do have some funds to spare, the Hall of Fame could use your help. If you've ever been to an induction weekend in Canastota, you understand what a magical place it is and how great its value to the sport of boxing is. So if you have the means to help out, go to ibhof.com and make a contribution. Every little bit will help them. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Ed Brophy, who runs the hall, is one of the very, very good guys uh, in the sport. Uh, the Hall of Fame's outstanding institution, as you just said, and as we've said multiple times before. If you are a boxing fan and you are able to ever get to an induction weekend, you will not regret it um, because it's a wonderful experience. But really, actually, if you're ever in that part of New York State, I understand that many people that's never going to be the case. Um, please do, you know, go and visit just for, for yourself uh, for for the fun value of it, as well as what it will do for the hall and yes if you do have some funds to spare uh we benefit from and need the hall of fame in this sport and right now the hall of fame needs us all right that will do it for another episode of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvania thanks again as always to gordon hall for joining us we will be back next week with our post-fight showbox analysis and a look ahead to the big lomachenko lopez showdown uh until then thanks for listening be safe be kind and be well.